Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Race to the Ring, episode 117. The Initiation with Lee Benjamin. Welcome to The Race for the Ring, the podcast about dating and embracing self-love and inner confidence. I'm your host, Mindy Barnett. I'm an entrepreneur, two-time author, keynote speaker, television contributor, and soon-to-be psychotherapist. Since re-entering the dating world after my divorce, I found dating life eye-opening. In an age of online swiping and in-person meetups, I found the world of love and lust has been a confusing place to be. So each week, we will chat with a different dating king or queen, socialite, or relationship expert and explore the many facets of dating today and come up with our clear plan on how to find the finest fish in the sea. Ready, set, go! Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Race for the Ring. I have a very juicy and spicy one for you today. We are talking about SEX and how to get in bed with a vengeance. I like that word, a vengeance. It's part of my um, book subtitle, You Don't Need to Be a Bitch to Be a Boss. Um, anyway, more, more about Lori. So Lori is a licensed marriage and family therapist. And in her practice, she realized there was a really big need to hone in on sex therapy because a lot of her couples um, that were coming in were, you know, obviously having some issues in that department. And whether or not they had issues with, like, no intimacy or no initiation and things of that nature, regardless, sex um, is definitely a part of everyone's life, at least we hope, um, one shape or the other. And she feels that there was a void. And I have to say, as a emerging psychologist, I would tend to agree in that space. So she specializes now in that and talks to her, her clients in the public about the importance of self-growth and development because that all kind of um, parlays into the bedroom in one shape or form. Um, so she talks to us a little bit about basically like the biggest, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it, hiccups that might come up in the bedroom, whether you're in a relationship or you're single and dating 
or you're married and you've hit it like kind of like a, a dead end, how to kind of like get things moving in the right direction, how to put yourself out there and not feel as vulnerable as you may today, um, and when to know when it's time to maybe seek some help because perhaps you have like a psychological issue because obviously that is indeed something to that you might need some help with if that if perhaps you, um, but we had a lot of fun. It was a really great conversation. Um, it's a juicy one. I always like the juicy episodes the most because I know you all do too. So enjoy with Marie. Marie, thank you for joining us today. How are you in North Carolina? <laughs> thank you so much for having me. We're actually having some chilly weather today, so it feels good. Nice fall. Oh. That's a bummer. It's nice here in New York. It's sunny and chilly, but sunny. Yeah. Um, at least for now. By the time this airs, it's probably going to be freezing and gross. But <laughs> anyway. Um, all right. So let's get into it. How um, how did you find your, your way into the marriage and family therapy arena? And what prompted you to specialize in um, addressing people's sexual needs and becoming a certified uh, sex therapist? Well, when I um, was doing some teaching at a Montessori school, and then I realized it was time for me to go back to grad school, thankfully and luckily for me, um, there was a seated program. So a lot of the programs that I was interested in, they were either online or they were at least three to four hours away from where I reside. And so I was able to find a small, very personalized seated program to do family and marriage therapy. Once I began the program, we had um, in our sex therapy course in a couples class, some sex therapists mm-hmm. come in to talk to our class. And that's when I realized oh, I really love the niche of this. And that is how I started to seek out my niche and realized that if you're in a coupledom, part of what takes place in the coupledom is sex. And I was one of those few people in the class who was not uncomfortable talking about sex and sexual topics. And so I began to seek more to find out further, like, how do I become certified in this um, realm? And I just found all the topics surrounding sex and sex therapy, couples, intimacy, very, very interesting. And so it's just organically been one of those things where I've fallen into it. Um, it would, I would be led to something. So if, say, for example, i was looking for a program to do the sex therapy. And once I graduated from grad school and that like just naturally I was listening to someone speak and she discussed her program. I looked into it, turned out it was another small school that offered, you know, one-on-one over the, because this was COVID, uh, personalized classes that way. And so that works best for me. I do want to be a part of something that's distinguished learning. And that's how it happened. So I just think I find it to be interesting. It's just exciting to me talking about it's so interesting. I find it fascinating. Um, I uh, and myself actually am in graduate school as as I often refer to as a side hustle for psychology, um, clinical psychology, to be a, um, a licensed well when I get my licensure, but like marriage and family therapist too. I don't think I personally would specialize in this niche because I am one of those, like I could address it, but I don't know if I could make a career of it mm-hmm. just because I'm like more, I don't want to say shy. I'm 
definitely not shy, like when it's me, you know, and, and with a partner, but like, you know, in terms of like people and stuff like that, but it's so needed and it's so important and it really does need to have more awareness around it and people talk about it openly and not feel shame and not feel shy. I think it's a generational thing for me personally too. Um, I think younger people like the, you know, millennials and, you know, the other generations coming through, I don't think they're at, it's like more like, Oh, it's sex, like whatever, who cares, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Good and bad. But anyway, all right, so let's get right into it. So what are, um, you know, I know like you're, you're still getting your hours and stuff like that to be officially certified in the sex realm, but you're practicing. So what are some of the main issues that you're encountering with couples, um, whether they be, you know, heterosexual or homosexual or whatever, you know, they're, you know, floats the boat, so to speak, um, we're going to kind of encompass all, uh, what are some of the main issues that people are coming to you to address, um, in the bedroom? A lot of it is low desire. So one partner comes in for low desire because the other partner is wanting them to be more, um, expressive sexually, or they want them to desire them sexually. And they also want them to be, um, comfortable initiating and the part mm-hmm. with the low desire typically doesn't do any of those things. They're interested, but they are concerned about how do they become aroused. And for a lot of times you're working with them and you let them know arousal isn't just a thing. Um, what you have to do is once you start kissing and cuddling and talking, then arousal can be sparked. Um, Emily Nagoski talks a lot about arousal. And so that's one of the things I typically will steer my couples to a, a talk that she did via YouTube on what arousal, how it's sparked and peaked. Sometimes it's just a matter of the both of us getting in the bedroom and in the bed and allowing our skin to touch one another. And then you find that the arousal begins. The other thing that I find a lot of men are coming and seeking out sex therapy because of a certain age. Men begin to find that their erections aren't what they once had in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s and onward. And so it's working through and helping them find that you can have, you know, magnificent sex, even though you may not have this rock hard erection and letting them know that there's, they're not broken, but we just need to change expectations around sex and sexuality. So a lot of the things I work on too is intimacy helping people be able to be vulnerable, even even though they've been in a couple of them for like, say, 20 years, they've lost that ability to be vulnerable. Um, also helping people learn to give consent. You would be surprised that in marriages or relationships, people don't have consent. And so that sometimes actually turns the other partner off. But consent to say, can I do this to you? Or am I allowed to touch your body this particular way, etc.? So I think, can I just interrupt you for a second? That's so interesting because I think like people who are married, I think that it's obviously a misconception, but nevertheless, they think that because they're married, they can just do whatever they want to their partner. You know, they, they quote own their, their partners and they own each other in a sense, but that's not true. Right. So can you talk to me a little bit about, uh, I mean, I don't ever, I'm now divorced, but I don't ever recall my ex-husband asking to touch me. I was actually really happy whenever he would. It's not the opposite of what you probably see in your office. Um, but that's a whole other episode for another day. But anyway, um, I, I just, I don't think he ever did. He just, but he wouldn't just like, 
you know, he gets kind of like, you know, Rico Suave, like, worked into it. Like, he could give me a kiss or he give me a compliment or, you know, like, he didn't just start, like, going at it. And I feel like some people that are married, like, the I know, like, my friends that are still married, um, like, they tell me, like, their husband's just like, yeah. But go ahead. Do you tell <laughs> us in your own experience? <laughs> so, what <laughs> is that mm-hmm. a lot of times because – Partners have been together or couples have been together, say, five plus years. And they believe at that point that they know their partner's body in and out. But what I like to tell my couples when I'm working with them is that each day you're going to treat that person and their body as if you need a passport to enter that country. So you mm, that's good. Yourself mm-hmm. and say, oh, I have the passport. In the passport is my visa. I'm allowed to just enter. No, you have to be able to get the stamp in the visa that says that you could come with this passport to this country. And so that helps couples to slow down and realize that they have to treat each other's bodies, their likes, their dislikes. They have to really pay attention to listen. That means that they also need to turn out, um, turn on their vulnerability because they have to be able to listen to the partner and say, no, I don't like that there. Or when you touch me here, that doesn't feel good to me or sensations come up that just make me feel sometimes I've heard my clients actually say the EBGBs. Um, but the thing is, if you're not taking the time to find out from your partner, does this feel okay? Can I touch you here? Is it okay here? And that doesn't mean like every step of the way throughout the sexual act, you're going to be doing that. Oh yeah. Okay. Now I'm going to put my finger here <laughs> and now I'm going to stick my tongue here. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. If my tongue, if you know, sometimes it may be like, if you notice your partner flinches, if you put your tongue in their ear, then that's, yeah. is it okay if I kiss your ear? That's where you talk consent. And a lot of people, when they're having sex, they're not talking. So with that, then of course, consent is not given. There's not a exchange and uh, like a dialogue going back and forth as to what feels good like mm-hmm. kind of going back to the passport analogy and going into a new country if you mm-hmm. were to treat it as such that you do not know your partner every day your body and the ways and the things that bring you sensation they may change and so yeah. if they're going to change on a daily basis that is where it's so important to have the conversations before during and even especially after what felt good to you did you like it when I touched you here? And we have to not have like a thick skin to the point where nothing our partner says to us can be penetrable, but thick enough skin that if they said that, you know, I actually didn't like that. You're not taking offense to it. But what you're learning is I'm learning my partner each day. This creates a deeper level of intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to go into, um, affection because I know that's like a major issue, um, for men and women, um, not to stereotype, but like, I know for me personally, like I know myself and my friends, like a lot of us lead with our heart and our body's second. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I think when I was younger, I think it was maybe the little bit of the opposite. Like I would be super attracted to somebody and then I would like get to know them. Whereas now, um, obviously like, you know, an adult and mature and all of that and have life experience behind, behind me, I lead more into the personality and getting to know the person and how they treat me. And then I find them attractive, whether they're good looking or not, in my opinion. So, um, I guess my question is women and men, but for me, like to get in bed with someone, I need to feel connected to that person. I can't just like, 
I've never had a one night stand. I never will. Like, I don't think I'll ever be that person that just finds someone so irresistible that I have to hop in bed. Like, I, it's not because I'm prude. I'm definitely not. I just think it's more because I need to feel some sort of something for them. Right. Right. So, if you don't have that feeling of connection, then how can you actually spark the intimacy that, that that's the turn on switch for you. So in order for you to be comfortable enough, because let's be honest, we are engaging someone into some of the most sacred things about us, our bodies, our hearts, mm-hmm. our mind, our emotions. Um, they get to witness all of this stuff during sex. So if you're having sex with some random person, then of course you have to be vulnerable. Sex is a vulnerable act. And so, or being sexual is vulnerable. And so part of the reason why I think that you could pause for the cause is that intimacy is necessary for you to be able to engage another person sexually. Right. But I think like when you get like kind of complacent relationships, sometimes the intimacy sort of dissipates a little bit. So do you find that in to be one of the major issues? And also there's, you know, studies show, if you will, um, that men tend to not be as intimate or maybe it's a misconception. Mm-hmm. I want you to clear up, you know, they don't, they don't feel like they can be as emotional, uh, as women can be because they want to be like this macho guy, <laughs> you know, depending, it doesn't matter if you're straight or not, right. you know, like that's sort of like what most men try to exude, but maybe I'm wrong. So feel free to like fix that like statement if, if so. Well, for a lot of men, what I have begun to share with my couples and my clients is that, and with women in general, when I sit down and I'm having conversation with women, Sarah go to uh, speak and they want me to speak on this topic and I'm at a speakeasy and they're having me speak. One of the things I, and if it's all women in the room, for example, one of the things I definitely like to tell them, especially when we are in long-term partnerships, Many men don't know how to tap into conversations sometimes with their partners because, you know, you're used to doing this all day, every day. So you take those things for granted versus when we're first dating, we're very open and we're being vulnerable. And so many women will say the only time he seems to be interested in me is when it has to do with sex. And one of the things that I think we don't talk about enough in society is that men become vulnerable. And that is sometimes when they are interested in being sexual is because something is bothering them at their core. And that is when they become very vulnerable. And that's where their vulnerability starts to show. So they would use sex because in our society, unfortunately, sex is the means in which men can be soft. They can show emotions. They can slow down. They can be attentive. And that's the only place sometimes in our society that we have Cultivate it for them to be able to be themselves. And this is the time in which they want to be held. They want to be seen. They want to be complimented, but they don't know how else to go about getting that outside of that realm. So sex is the place where they go to seek it. Um, And so they will use sex as a means of connecting with their partner. And many don't even know they are, or that's, that's the reason why. So sometimes when I'm talking to Men and I say that that many of them you can see the aha go across their face like oh that's that it's so true this is what I no it makes sense yeah yeah it definitely makes sense and I think women probably obviously don't realize that no. so they're like oh you just want to like you know 
Yeah, yeah. And then the poor guy's feeling even more vulnerable because he's like getting shot down by his mama. Yeah, yeah. Based on what you said too, intimacy in coupledom will require us being vulnerable. It also requires us providing accessibility to ourselves. So this Mm -hmm. is the time where, you know, that is when a man emotionally wants to be touched. And we have Mm -hmm. to be intentional in our relationships to continuously keep the intimacy flowing. And many people think when I say intimacy, that means sex. And it's no. I I like to tell my couples that if you can spend five minutes a day, and that's not a lot because we have busy lives and we're doing a lot of things within the course of the day. Five minutes a day where you actually slow down, you and your partner touch, meaning Mm -hmm. you can touch hands, you can rub each other, rub a shoulder, whatever. But you find a means to just look in each other's eyes and just have a conversation. Just like, how was your day? No electronics. No, the TV's off. Those are forms of intimacy that we tend to negate nowadays and don't think that that is intimate. And it is. And so what you do is you continue to keep that connection flowing between the two of you. So when the time finally comes for sex, it's not as hard to engage your partner sexually because if you make this a daily practice of five minutes a day, just tapping in and tuning into your partner, that will carry a long way. Yeah, that's really good advice. That's, uh, and I agree with that. That's important no matter what. Mm-hmm. Dating, I mean, the show is predominantly listened to by you know, people that are in relationships or obviously single looking for relationships. So this is good advice when you do find that ring <laughs> or your gem or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I think, um, you know, it's important to just have that connection all the time, like just to even just check in with one another. I know that that definitely was something that my ex-husband and I didn't do once we had kids. So let's get into that a little bit about how that dynamic changes. And I actually just had, um, breakfast with a, a friend and she was saying to me um that she's younger children and that she um uh you know is sort of in this like I guess like sort of a, like a lull with her her husband because they have young children and they've lost that um you know connection and, and you know so I think it happens it's very common and that was sort of my advice to her to stick it out and like you know whatever it's going to get better but um but it takes time and it takes work and it takes both people right so can you talk to us a little bit about that it definitely does so for both partners men or women or if you're in a same-sex relationship what happens mm-hmm. is, especially when we have young kids, all of our attention goes to the young kids. And that is a time where we really have to be far more intentional about making connections. And so, you know, it is a time where I tell the partners to pay attention to the bits of connection that your partner is giving out. And so many people would think the bit of connection, like, what is that? So say, for example, you are watching TV and your partner says, hey, um, you know, they're sitting on the couch and you walk in the room and they're like, hey, can you, um, you want to watch this with me? And if you say, no, nah, I'm doing something else, that was their bid for connection. That was mm. their way of being vulnerable in that moment. But we don't read those small, subtle cues on a day-to-day basis because it's so mm. mundane. So it's not one of those things where the partner comes up and they hug us. And so we've been, that's when we were like, oh, that's the bid for connection because it's more demonstrative and they're using their physical body to demonstrate that. However, our partners may say things to us on a daily basis, like, um, can you call me when you ride out today to work? That's a bid for connection. Uh, If the partner then takes the time to say, well, hey, 
um, you find that they have unloaded the dishwasher and they put the dishes up and they cleaned up the kitchen. And they're like, oh, look, I just cleaned up the kitchen. And you're like, about time. They were actually making a bid for connection. And they were actually making a bid to try to have a compliment or you see them in a way that is endearing. So these small little things that happen throughout the course of the day, those are the things that are so important that they continue to keep the spark alive because the more a partner feels appreciated, the more they're inclined to do more for you, them, the relationship, right? Appreciation goes a long way in relationships. And a lot of people don't tend to actually express that to their partners. So that's another way where the intimacy is kind of gets lost, especially when we have young kids, right? Just trying to get them to in the shower or take take their bath, get them in their pajamas, get them to bed, fed. All these oh days. God, I, I don't miss those days at all. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's You're lot. exhausted after all that, especially if you have your both work. I mean, exactly. I just remember being spent by that time. I'm like, oh, God, yeah, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> just like watch TV and go to sleep. Yeah, those, yeah, but you have to. You would have to make it a priority. That doesn't mean that you have has to be something sexual all the time. No, right, right. You, as you said, for the partner, your friend that you met today for breakfast, and she's just like, this is just the same old, same old. Well, the husband has to also make an intentional intent to see what are the things that she needs to feel special or cared for or desired. Desire is important, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's one of those things in which, you know, he has to come in every day with flowers, but more so recognizing, oh, today she probably really needed to hear. Let me hear what she's going through today. And I not offer a suggestion. I just take it in for what it is and say, you know, just vent, allow her to. Those may be things where she's like, oh, he recognizes me. You see me. Those things matter in a relationship to be seen, to be heard, to be known. I love that. Let's talk a little bit about initiation because I know that is obviously a sticking point for people who are married, um, you know, in relationships, dating even sometimes. It's awkward, like who initiates and um, if it's the same person all the time, the other one feels like almost like not desirable. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you see in your practice in that space and how you work with your clients to overcome that and make it more of an even playing field? Yes. So a lot of times what I find is that, and this will be, I think what is surprising is sometimes we always think it's the men who have more of the desire than the woman. And sometimes yeah. it actually is the reverse in relationships. So you- yeah, I was going to say, unless you're like dating me, but <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. I had to, to intervene. Go continue. Sorry. Yeah. I'm good for some humor here and there. Well, that's fine. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it can happen sometimes where we can find women in relationships who have more of a sex drive or more of a desire for the emotional touch than their, their partner. And especially if he is heterosexual, you know, this is, we're not talking same sex couples here. And so for her, for a lot of women, that is a huge form of feeling rejected because the, the narrative in society is one in which men want to have sex all the time. Men want to be touched all the time. They're ready to go all the time. And so if you're a the woman in the relationship with more of a sexual drive or desire than your male partner, as a woman, it's very important that you know you slow down and say to yourself, what do I need? 
what it is that I'm really wanting from him. And part of it is because if he initiates through sexual acts, it says he wants me, I'm desirable, I'm beautiful, I'm sexy, I'm known. And when that can't happen for some partners, because sometimes, you know, if there's a physical thing that stops the man from being able to be that way in a medical way, having to work with him to realize, okay, so you cannot, you're not always going to be pushed by your sexual loins and your desires are going to come up that way. But these are the things that she needs for you to know that emotionally she's being seen, felt, heard, and known. And part of that would be initiate touch. You know, if, if she is washing the dishes, don't spank her butt, but walk behind her and just give her a hug. If she is um, picking up the toys with the kids and you can help do that as well. If you're sitting mm-hmm. on the couch, back in for her hand. Let me just hold your hand. Back rubs, all of those things, because part of it is I want to know that you see me. And so through the touching, a lot of people's emotional needs, their sexual needs aren't 100% met, but that is a means in which they feel that, you know, that need for touch is met. Sexually, if you're not interested in being touched or held and, you know, coming back and saying to your partner, tonight is not the best night, or if it's the morning, for example, this morning is not good, but I will follow up to, you know, this evening or I'll follow up tomorrow. It lets that other partner know that you do recognize they have a need for that connection with you. That it's, I like the follow up. I'll follow up. <laughs> I'll, follow up. I'll follow up in about a year. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, but that's good because it, it gets to the, to the other person. It acknowledges that, you know, you, you're not ignoring their needs and ignoring them and you do find them desirable, but you know, this isn't the best moment in your mind right. to and engage it goes in back to that the deed. Consent, right. So yeah. Saying, yeah. Consent to follow up and recognize you're being vulnerable in this moment. I want to come back to this. I will circle back because then the other partner feels like, okay, they recognize I have a need. They knew they recognized I was being vulnerable because it's vulnerable to be asking to be intimate with your spouse. Even if yeah. you've been together five, 10, yeah. 15 years, you have to put yourself out there. And if you're always yeah. hearing the word no, but then there's no follow up, that does quelch the desire for that other partner to say, I want to put myself out here again. Yeah. So it's no, that's that. true. That's good advice. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That, yeah, of course. No problem. <laughs> no, it's, it's really good advice. I think too, like, um, in me, for me, just speaking, you know, from, for myself, I think when I was younger, I think I was more prone to not initiate. I think as I got older and I got, became more confident and felt more comfortable in my, in my own skin and my body and like all of that, like, I guess I didn't care as much as, I mean, of course you care if you're not, if you're not, it's not reciprocated, but I guess like, I guess like I was sort of like, whatever, it's his loss. (laughs) If it doesn't work out for him tonight, like, oh, well, it's dumb, dumb, like, you know, he could have had me, stupid. Um, But do you find that that, 
may be the case for, for women specifically, maybe especially after they've had children, like they just feel like not, like I know you were talking a little earlier about like that, I don't want to call it a weird role, but like when you're a mom, like you're like not as sexy because you're like with the kids all, like, you know, even if you work, you come home, you're with the kids and you're talking with the kids. And I just, I remember for me when I first had my baby, that was like, I have two kids now. Um, but yeah, they're older, thankfully. Um, oh, well, I love them when they were younger. But <laughs> I was just saying like, yeah, like I have more independence, um, in that space. But at any rate, what I was trying to say was when my daughter, um, she's my first, when she came home um, from the hospital, I remember it was just a weird shift yes. um, for me to like, you know, be like mommying her. I, I was, and then there was my husband. I was like, okay, like, does he, it, just, it was weird. I can't even explain it. It was just like, he probably looks at me like mom, right. like not, you know, right. wife. And I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. It makes yeah. a lot of sense what you're saying. So for a lot of women, once they have a child, a lot of their focus goes to the baby. And it's no yeah. longer about the relationship per se, or their husband per se, or their significant other so much. And right. they put, they find themselves going into mommy mode and it's hard to come out of that mode and see yourself as anything other than, especially because you're looking at this little creature and you're thinking to themselves, they can't do anything for themselves. So I have to be available. I'm um, also too, most of the time, the honest to goodness piece is, are we really interested post having a baby? Because your body is still going through the changes. You're, especially if you're breastfeeding, you're touched out. People don't want to be touched anymore after being, you know, with a child for most right. of the day and into the evening. So the touch yeah. is tapped out. I, that's very natural and common. And a lot of the work that I do too is helping people realize the feelings that they have, the emotions that they have, they're natural, that they're not broken. And a lot of people feel as if they're broken just because they're not ready to jump from the chandeliers every night. No, you're not. You're you're a human being. And the things that you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, there's humanness to it. And so what part of this to do is just setting up expectations that how do we create a relationship that's fulfilling for you and fulfilling for me in the complexity of what is, you know, our human lives and taking away some of the expectations, thinking that you just had a baby. Now you're supposed to be able to do all of these different things. You can't. It's not feasibly possible. But one of the biggest things I think for women that I'm finding is the more self-acceptance that we have, meaning that we accept yourself that our breasts are now saggy or our butts are, you know, extra fat or we have a pooch. The more we, in our stomach area, the more we accept ourselves, it will help increase the safety in the relationship because then from there, we're not so focused on how we are going to perform. Pleasure becomes something that is safe and appropriate for, for us because we're not having that level of self-acceptance. So that is really important too for intimacy in a relationship. Okay. I love that. So we are, um, believe it or not, just about out of time, but I want to have you do it. I'm not to put you on the spot. Um, Marie, but if you could share, um, maybe your top five, um, actionable takeaways for people listening, if they a, are in, um, a relationship, um, that they feel has essentially kind of hit a dead end a little bit in the romance department and the, how to like spice it up. Like if you can, um, share a little bit about that. So I would say, keep asking questions. Um, the more you ask questions, the more that you will be able to get in tune to your partner's needs, allow yourself to be vulnerable. 
Um, the more that you are vulnerable, I think the safer it will be a place for your partner to also open up. Mm-hmm. I would also indicate that realizing pleasure is, is, is almost your birthright. Like you are entitled to pleasure. You don't have to perform. Just go into sex seeking pleasure. And a lot of us don't do that. We think we have to put a performance on, but we don't need to perform, but we should go into it thinking this is all about pleasure, connection, and getting to, you know, tap into my partner, their needs, and also realizing what are mine. And then the the last tip would probably be, you know, consenting, recognizing that your partner needs for you sometimes to consent to them to do certain things. Or would you would you like me to touch you here? And when you provide consent, what you get to do is you change the narrative of what sex can look like because both of you then know what you want, what you need, how to be vulnerable. Um, those are some of the things that I tend to tell my clients. Oh, that's great. On a daily basis, this then creates the intimacy that so many of us desire and we want. So those are the things like affection, you know, pay attention to your partner's bids for connection, attention, and affection. That creates support. It creates intimacy. It will continue the vulnerability for the relationship. Love that. Love that. Okay. All right. So tell everybody uh, listening um, where they can find you. Um, kind of, this is obviously national. Yeah, I know you're in North Carolina. I, lo- I don't know why I keep wanting to call that <laughs> with my southern accent that doesn't exist. Um, I lived in Louisiana, so I picked it up a little bit. It kind of whips out. Of- yeah, I was in news a long time ago. We'll get to all other fun episode story. But yeah, yeah, I was a news, I was a, a news anchor reporter, and one of my um, gigs was in. Uh, Monroe, Louisiana. I'll give a shout out to KTVE <laughs> TV, Region 10 News. Um, anyway, <laughs> I had a little caffeine today, if you can't tell. Um, anyway, back to you. So tell us where we can find you on all of your social channels, etc., etc. Um, right now, you can find me mainly at Connecting Dots Together, um, and that's dots with an S, so ConnectingDotsTogether.com. And that will lead you to the Facebook page, which is also connecting dots together.com on Facebook. Right now, we have not expanded to all platforms for social media. Um, so that's not my forte per se, but hopefully in time we'll get there. But a lot of them, a lot of your readers and your listeners, sorry, can find me at connectingdots.com. And that's where they will be able to see my website and more content in the future, hopefully coming blogs and so forth. All right, awesome. You need to hire MB and Associates Public Relations <laughs> to do your PA, to do your social media. No, I'm I'm Let's half talk. kidding. That's my PR firm. That's like my day job. Okay. This is like my side. This is my side hustle. But it's my passion. Yes. All right. Well, it was wonderful having you on. I super appreciate you, and um, hopefully everybody listening is going to hop into bed with protection. Thank you, sense right. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Bye. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Race for the Ring. Today's episode was produced by Liz Hartshorn and edited by Danielle Gordon. I so appreciate your ear and insight. And if you like today's episode, please write us a review. They can make or break a good podcast, just like a dull dude can be the kiss of death. Be sure to check out my new book. You don't need to be a bitch to be a boss. It's available on Amazon and everywhere books are sold. And say hi to me on Instagram. I'm at Mindy.net. See you next week. Bye-bye.
Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.